G'day guys, it's James and Matt here with the Fiber Performance Podcast. This is episode eight and we're sitting down with Jeffrey who is huge in the plant-based space, teaching people how to navigate all things nutrition, um, especially transitioning from say uh, either a predominantly uh, animal-based diet through to a plant-based diet through to being vegan. Uh, I myself am vegan, Maddie is predominantly plant-based. Uh, but this is just a really cool way to get information out. His Instagram is filled with great little hacks and tips and tricks just to navigate where to get your nutrition from. And we're really stoked to be talking to him today um, about a range of different things. We're going to keep the conversation pretty lighthearted and maybe just talk about, you know, some protein myths and some other bits and pieces. And and Matt can go into a little bit of the the technical side of I don't know whether we talk about lycopene and all those types of really cool things that have been popping up through Jeffrey's IG of late. So Jeffrey, thanks for jumping on. I appreciate you having me, guys. I pulled well. Awesome, mate. Well, I just want to kick things off. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about on how you got started um, as a, uh, a vegan and where it took you over the last few years and how you got stuck into doing what you're doing and how you come up with all this cool information that you're putting through your socials. Yeah, so it was actually quite an interesting um, kind of transition. So it was completely out of the blue. I remember my sister had come home at one time and said that she'd watched a documentary that she felt was quite impactful in terms of how the the links between diet and disease and what the health, and I'm sure you guys have heard of it. Although I do say to a lot of people that these nutrition documentaries can be biased. They can, you know, put a bit of, you know, questionable information out there. But for me, it was enough to be like, hang on a sec, let me at least try this and let me give it a go. Um, so I kind of just went plant-based overnight after I watched the documentary twice and I watched it overnight. I got switched completely overnight. But then it was a case of that was like the starting point for me. It was a case of then going into scientific papers, going into different research, videos, books, just to kind of see how, you know, I could still optimize it. Because I, I you know, had a sporting background growing up, played a lot of sport, football, rugby, cricket, tennis. So I'd always kind of thought, you know, meat for protein, milk for calcium. So I was thinking, okay, if I'm going to do this, I want to see how I can still get the right nutrients that I need, still optimize it for performance and health and well-being. So kind of went down that rabbit hole. And then after about kind of six to nine months of doing it and kind of creating the recipes and kind of coming across all these different foods, I then started to share a lot of what I was learning on Instagram. And I wasn't much of a social media person beforehand. Like I hated social media. I didn't have it. Um, so then I kind of just thought, okay, let me, let me just start sharing some of the stuff because maybe people might find some value in it. And it kind of just started to gain some traction, started sharing a lot of recipes and all the different kind of teachings I was coming across in the the science. And yeah, so I come across, you know, arrive at this point sort of, and this was in 2017. So this has been over five years now. So I'm up to this point now where I can just continue to want to share that information because it's become a real passion of mine. I felt so many benefits, you know, short and long term, and I wanted to share that with everyone else. So that's kind of where I'm at at this point. Awesome. And um, yeah, go. What, what sort of benefits? What did you feel? Like how, how, how did it make you feel switching? So after literally after two weeks, my sleep was incredible. Like I'd always typically got eight hours sleep, but I felt really sluggish in the morning. I had to, you know, smash the snooze alarm um, a few times before I could get out of bed. But my sleep was just incredible. I slept really deeply and then woke up with a lot of energy. I felt really light, whether that was a case of obviously getting more anti-inflammatory foods into my diet. Maybe I was reducing inflammation in my body. So I felt really light and just kind of a lot of energy as well. And one of the interesting ones really was I felt a lot of mental clarity. I can't really like put it into words as to how I kind of felt, but I just felt like, a, I wouldn't say I had brain fog, but I 
felt definitely felt like a fog had kind of just been lifted and I just felt a lot clearer in my thinking. So those were really the four main benefits that I kind of experienced at the time. That's funny you say that because I felt the same way when I did a seven day fast. So yeah. I fasted barley for seven days and they're okay. probably the main things that I experienced. Not so much the sleep, my sleep pretty much stayed the same, but mm. I felt lighter. I was obviously mm. getting lighter at the time, but mm. uh, I did feel light and I did feel I had a lot of mental clarity. Like I was very articulate. I could think fast, I could repeat. Uh, I could get back into the swing of, you know, stringing my sentences together well. Uh, so there were the things that I noticed the most. And I don't know whether that has something to do with the fasting benefits or, or vice versa, or whether there are things in, you know, a, a typical, and I'm not sure what the typical British diets are like, as opposed to Australia, as opposed to the US, whether there are things in the diet that typically do make you feel sluggish in the morning that don't let you have a really restful deep sleep or things that do make you feel sluggish in the morning, yeah. typically. So um, that's really interesting and very cool. And I guess feeling those benefits immediately um were they things that you struggled with you know growing up playing sport too or was that something that you know progressed on as you got older uh did you start to notice them more and then transitioning into plant-based diet you felt like it took you back to you know a little bit more of your youth or was it something that you'd always struggled with waking up feeling groggy and things like that yeah i, I wouldn't say like my, my sleep was terrible. I think I, I think I'd say for the most part, it was okay. But I think, as I said, I'd, I'd get, a tip, you know, your typical eight hours sleep and people would say, and maybe it was the fact that I was maybe sleeping a bit later and not getting a good kind of, you know, sleeping at 10, waking up at six, it might've been sleeping at 12, waking up at eight. And I always feel like if I sleep earlier, I get better sleep. So maybe it was that as well, that I started sleeping earlier alongside, um, you know, moving my diet towards, you know, completely plants. But the, the difference was just noticeable. It was so like, it was so clear. I was like, there's got to be something in this. And I think what's interesting is that maybe if I hadn't experienced those benefits, if things had started to go the other way and, you know, I might have started feeling sluggish after me eating a plant-based diet or things like that, I might have felt, oh, maybe this might not be for me, but I received all these benefits straight away and then they just continued. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to continue with this and see how we go. So yeah, as I said, the sleep was the most noticeable one. I wouldn't say it was something that I like noticeably struggled with kind of growing up but i definitely the, the difference was huge awesome did you guys get any sort of die off i know a lot of people like did you get worse before you got better i know a lot of people they'll do a, any sort of major change to their lifestyle mm -hmm. they'll often have a go through a, a healing crisis or something <laughs> did you guys ever experience anything like that that's funny you say that because I personally didn't, but my, obviously my sister had watched the documentary and she actually went plant-based for like, but she only did it for three weeks because of exactly that. She just didn't, she just didn't feel great at all. So as you say, she went through that kind of process of feeling worse, but I think if she'd stuck it out, she might've then felt better. But it's funny now because she's actually predominantly plant-based now and she eats a lot more plant-based foods and she's feeling great. So I think she just had to stick it out for that longer period of time. It kind of depends what's living in you sometimes because when you start, someone named it after himself. It's called the Herxheimer reaction. Burp and fart and gurgle and nausea. And someone goes, oh, name it after old Herxheimer. <laughs> probably someone in the, probably wasn't even the guy that invented it. But, um, and, what, and that's often the die-off. So often if you have an overgrowth, in particular fungus and candida, that thing's a real, when you, yeah. when, when you starve that of certain sugars and foods and it starts to die off and all mm. you increase your diet full of, polyphenols and that that come in the plants that might actually displace those bugs they often will have a die off so for some people out there if they go through a phase of burping farting gurgling nausea um, that's often a die-off reaction mm. other people 
sometimes aren't used to eating vegetables and fruit yeah. and you do have a bad reaction sometimes it's the fact that you're all of a sudden eating these uh, these compounds that are found in plants like salicylates or oxalates or stuff that your body again just has a transition phase until your microbiome adjusts and then you have the yeah. ability to use those things as well so just to the people out there that are doing the transition now that might be at that three-week phase that might want to push on you know yeah, exactly that's yeah. one of the things I, I do mention i think you it's important to give your gut bacteria time to turn over because you're going to have that change you're going to have that shift from where you were to where you're trying to go and it might be uncomfortable in the first instance but you'll get there eventually yeah what's the um what's the biggest thing i'm sure you have plenty of people reach out to you through socials to get advice what is the most common question that you get asked and i'm guessing it's going to be something based around protein but let me yeah, yeah. so <laughs> yeah. Give, give me the lowdown low on the common questions about protein and then give me your answer <laughs> to what yeah. to what you usually say to them I think you know you get a, I get a lot of questions about, for example, where do they where do they get protein? I still get those questions, maybe a little bit less than what I did at the start. Um, and then again, I think of course people have to understand that you know protein is available in you know in certain foods in, in the plant compound in plant um, kingdom. You know the likes of tempeh, your tofu, your beans, your quinoa. But I think it's important to for people to understand that it's really vital to get a wide variety of these plant proteins in just to make up for the shortfall in those amino acids that are lacking in some of the plant foods so you know if you're if someone's eating chicken breast you're just chicken breast you're going to get your full amino acid profile but if someone's eating just black beans they might be struggling a little bit so you know for example with me i might have like a oats with a protein powder in the morning and then at lunchtime i might have like some lentil bolognese with maybe some beans in there as well and then in the evening might have some kind of Buddha bowl with tempeh and quinoa. So I'm getting that wide variety of amino acids in there. So that's the one thing that I mentioned to people the most. And then I think people often just struggle with just how to structure their plates. And that's, I guess, one thing that I was having to go through at the start of my journey. Like, okay, I've taken meat from my plate. How do I structure my plates? What am I focusing on? And I think the most simplest way for people to do it, I think, is just to almost just simplify it right down to macronutrients. So carbohydrates, protein, fat. And so think like from a protein standpoint, you want to get a good quality plant protein, whether it's tempeh or tofu or something like that. And then when it comes to carbohydrates, you want to get a really good complex carb in there. So like whether it's sweet potato or quinoa or buckwheat or something like that. And then healthy fats, get healthy fats in there, avocado. And then maybe add some greens in there as well. Obviously love, love getting greens in there too. So I think that's the easiest way for people to, to build their meals, almost like to structure it in like a, a bowl format from a macronutrient standpoint. And that's the, I mean, that's the way that I kind of encourage people to do things. And that's exactly how I do it too. Um, to simplify things, you don't need to, you know, throw the whole kitchen sink at someone and say, well, you've got to look at your, your iron, your potassium, your magnesium, mm -hmm. your this and that, and you've yeah. got to make sure B12's on point and make sure you're getting the B12 in the right place. It's easiest just to start off with, hey, make sure you're hitting your macros and make sure you're getting lots of colors on the plate at the same time. Yeah. And you're probably gonna hit around about where you need to be. And the thing that Matt also talks to me about quite regularly is like, when we transition from either, if you wanna go say from a plant-based diet to a vegan diet, um, we there's no need for us to compare or have the the gold standard as a chicken breast. It doesn't have, that doesn't have to be the gold standard. Mm -hmm. why, why are we trying to compare quinoa to beef and mm, chickpeas yeah. to pork and you know that might not be the way like you could probably look at it from a different perspective and it's like okay cool i can get more diversity 
get more micronutrients along the way if I do, you know, kidney beans, quinoa, and a little bit of tofu and mix all three together. And then I might be getting, you know, all nine essential amino acids. Plus I'm getting a, a bunch of other phytonutrients at the same time. So it actually might be more beneficial in the long run. Plus it's probably also adding more diverse bacteria to the gut too, giving yourself um, the best advantage there as well. So yeah. I haven't seen a great deal of evidence that really suggests that this certain 35% of the protein needs to be branched chain amino acids or, you know, that in each meal mm. we need to actually have the perfect match of amino acids. We might be getting them in over the end of the day, but it doesn't, like, I've never seen a great deal of evidence to suggest that the 35% amino acid, branch chain amino acids that everyone talks about is, is the gold standard for health, you know, considering we're now seeing a bit of evidence with overdosing of branch chain amino acids contributing to depression, um, anxiety, um, uh, blood sugar disorders, insulin resistance, and that sort of stuff as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, maybe we never needed that dose of branched chain amino acids. And as you're saying, interestingly, if we buy, if we don't consume it, we have a microbiome that's capable of creating that for us to fill in the gaps. And I guess, and I've also heard it, and Jeffrey, you might've heard this too, but in saying that, uh, utilizing the microbiome to create the other amino acids that we may be, you know, not getting those non-essentials, there is somewhat, I think some things have recently come out saying that might be better actually for longevity for our body to actually clean up and utilize some of those amino acids to create these other ones that we don't need. So we're not having a surplus constantly in our system. So that could actually be a benefit to us in the long run if we want to live, you know, towards 100 or plus. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the things that I think there's just this obsession with protein in society. It's just like everyone talks about it. It's, I think we probably even overconsume protein when we think about the macronutrients. And as you say, when you're thinking about it more from the perspective of the, the microbiome and how you can populate that and how you can diversify that, that's where plants come into the mix. And I was even reading the other day, just slightly off topic, that vitamin K2, you know, we always talk about people talk about, um, you know, obviously the two types, MK4, MK7 people say that oh you can only get you need to get mk4 from animal-based products but then i was reading something along the lines of our gut microbiome actually can produce vitamin k2 so having that diversity there is going to be beneficial in so many areas and and i think if we can promote as much as we can and this is what i guess matt tries to do as much as possible and and definitely i'm on the bandwagon now is trying to increase diversity into the gut microbiome and if we've got diversity there we have we're putting our right foot forward in the capabilities of being able to produce all those types of things like, mm. you know, B4, K2 and all these other bits and pieces that we may be lacking in the body. And if we yeah. have diversity there and we can help to uh, push forward and give it, you know, give it a big boost of polyphenols and, and give it some good quality fiber. So we're feeding that, that gut microbiome in the right way. We have every ability to produce these short chain fatty acids, all these organic acids, all these enzymes that we need to do the things that we do on a daily basis, yeah. which is pretty interesting. And I think, you know, we're scratching the surface and Matt, no, Matt talks about this all the time. We're just scratching the surface when it comes to microbiome uh, research. And I think we've probably come a long way in the last five years from what I've heard. And I'm no expert in it, but I've been hanging around experts uh, for the last few months. Or actually I've been hanging around Maddie for years and years and years, but uh, now I've just started to learn more and more and, it, and it's super interesting. But one thing I wanted to ask you about, you've um, recently, uh, read some studies on comparing, um, I think there was a, a, a placebo, there was a, a whey-based supplement group, and then there was a plant-based yes. supplement group, and they all did a weight training regime, and yeah. you know there was a particular outcome. Can you explain a little bit about that from, from your recollection? 
Yeah, so I think it was a study on, I believe it was Brazilian volleyball players, and they were just looking at, uh, there was a whey protein, and then there was a plant-based protein, which had pea, I can't remember what the, what the blend was, but I, know, I think it had pea, rice, and another source of plant protein, and it showed that there were kind of across the board in terms of one rep max, overall strength, it, it was, there was no real difference. And I think, again, this is what comes down to, like, the, when the key amino acids are matched, you're not going to get much difference. And if, the, any, and if you are going to get any difference, if that muscle protein synthesis is going to be higher on the animal-based diet, you're not going to get, there's not going to be much difference. It's almost like when in the studies where we look at uh, the amount of protein that people should actually take, whether it's 1.6 grams per kilo or yeah. 2.2, when you go above 2.2, there's not much difference in terms of your strength gains and your hy and hypertrophy. So yeah, it was a really interesting study. Of course, it was a relatively small sample size. So, you know, it'd be good to see more of these studies replicated, but you know, as Matt, as Matt said, like, is, is there much benefit in, you know, just topping up on all these amino acids from, from the animal kingdom? Yeah, it actually might even show a benefit to actually be, you know, right on the cusp or mm. maybe I'm slightly lower because I know that I went from uh, early days in my career when I was 22, 23, 24, that I was told to have upwards of 210 grams of protein per day. And I was an early 85 kilo athlete. Mm. And now I'm having... 140 grams of protein a day yeah. so you know roughly 70 grams less mm. zero difference at all if yeah. anything you know i have maybe a bit less gas but other yeah. than that i'm not any stronger uh, i'm not any weaker i'm exactly the same and yeah. i'm consuming less so maybe it could be a, a benefit in there somewhere at least if anything i'm having less impact on on the environment i mean we yeah. had that that uh, there was another study when you're talking about the pea protein versus the the way um there was another one where they did pea protein versus whey, and they showed the pea protein group actually increased their muscle fiber diameter. They got thicker muscle fibers compared to the whey group. Now, actually, mm -hmm. saying benefits came from the arginine and glycine. And so we know with the arginine and glycine, they're contributing to vasodilation within the muscle group, especially if they're delivered efficiently. Um, and then the other thing is they do help with creatine recycling and everything as well. So there's all these other benefits. So an interesting thing is I've got some good friends that um, work at the ISSN, uh, the International Society of Sports Nutrition, the guys that are behind a lot of the data around the branch chain and creatine and stuff like that. When you have a chat to the guys, they're all old NFL players that are obsessed with steak. So they used to, they used to eat a lot of red meat. Um, yeah. And they truly believe that the overconsumption of steak is actually what made them superior athletes. So they did a lot of research into beef in the really early days of the ISSN where they talked about creatine, phosphatidic acid, and then basically the amino acid profile that's found in beef. And then they set that up as a gold standard for athletes. Um, you know, but it just, just imagine if ISSN was started by someone with an obsession over pea or soy. <laughs> we might have a totally different reason why these athletes were fantastic and a whole yeah. different um, lot of science to call upon. But it's really interesting now that they're going back and comparing a lot of these studies. Yeah. I think um I think some really cool stuff that you've been digging into uh, recently. Um, we both were watching some of your videos um, on the the lycopene. Um, yes. So when when you structure your day, um, and I think our days are pretty similar in terms of what we eat. Like we both mm. love oats. We both love making smoothie bowls. We like we both love butter bowls. Yeah. Um, but when you structure when you structure a day. Uh, what types of things are you eating on a daily basis that you would basically just be able to rattle off and say, hey, if I was just going to give you three main meals, what would you be looking at kind of having on a, on a regular daily basis? And what types of, uh, 
colors and, and other bits and pieces that you're putting on your plate? I'd say, first of all, oats. I have oats pretty much every day. It's without yeah. fail. And now, what it does to me is it removes any kind of decision fatigue in the morning, but then you've got good quality complex carbohydrates and then the topping, because it's like a blank canvas. You can do whatever you want with it. So I'll get blueberries, I'll get uh, goji berries, I'll get all sorts of stuff on there. Um, so yeah, it's really, really useful to get that on there. And then quinoa, I think that's one of the easiest foods to get into the diet. Uh, again, whole grain, decent quality protein in there as well. And then tempeh is another one that I eat pretty much every single day. So I'd say, and then greens, I always get a lot of greens into the diet as well. So a lot of berry, a lot, a lot of kind of uh, spinach, kale, kind of collard greens. These are foods that are really kind of cost effective as well and super important for so many reasons, brain health, you know, things like that. So yeah, those are the foods that I'd say I'd get in a lot more. Yeah, hundred percent. That so while you while we're talking about tempeh and that, such a massive difference. It's so important. To, there's a lot of the original data that they used to go back and say all these cultures used to have a lot of soy and they didn't have these health problems. Yeah. In the that those cultures weren't eating a lot of like just soy milk or a soy protein. They're eating a lot of fermented soy products like the fermented soy black beans and then yeah. the tempeh and that sort of stuff and another forms. So it's very different. Um, so it was interesting that you talk about that because i've seen a lot of people that go and watch a documentary plant-based and then all of a sudden they live on soy milk and toast and they can't understand why they're just not feeling great you know yeah, yeah exactly yeah. it's super interesting and i think something that we've been looking at most of most recent and especially with fiber is looking at um, how we can increase gut health at the same time whilst also giving someone you know, an added bonus of protein and giving them a good blend of protein, but then also looking at things how we can increase, you know, uh, energy production and things of that nature, whilst also getting in heaps of vitamins and minerals too. Yep. What would be it, it, the stuff that you're looking at now or at the moment and moving forward, what are you most excited for, um, you know, kind of to bring to light? Are, are you looking at, you know, uh, mainly are you going into the more of the gut microbiome stuff or what stuff are you really looking forward to uncovering um, in the coming in the coming years or are you've got something on the go that's you know super excited about with in cookbook or, or something of that nature yeah so actually I released a cookbook last year actually um, called eat more plants and it was a relatively simple cookbook just had sort of eight eight kind of recipes in there and for me I think I wanted to call it eat more plant because I'm not trying to encourage or kind of push everyone into oh you have to go vegan you know that's not always the way to do it if you go mostly plant-based you're going to reap tons of the benefits like i'm sure matt you are so i think it's about getting people into into the process of getting more plants like some of the best messages that i receive on social media from people saying i'm not vegan but you've inspired me to do this or get more berries in or eat more greens and i think that's really useful because yes of course there's a, a growing plant-based community of people who are solely plant-based but there are the vast majority of people out there struggle to know what to eat, period. You know, so it's about helping to educate them and helping to kind of bring light to certain things that they may not have had any idea of beforehand. So I think that's really useful. I'm, I'm hopefully going to continue to, you know, potentially even do a physical cookbook. I think that would be really cool um, just to have people have, you know, a lot of these recipes that they can have to hand. And I think one thing that I'm really looking forward to is just consider is just continuing, you know, the my own athletic pursuits and just showing people that you know you can be very very strong on a plant-based diet and i think if when i look at my instagram it's it's a majority women i'd love to see more men come onto it come on board and see you know you can get some gains in the gym you can you know have some mental health benefits mental clarity feeling light 
So I want to just continue to just move in the right direction um, and show people kind of how they can do this going forward in the long term. And um, just touching on some of the stuff that you have brought up, the, the lycopene, the lycopene stuff that you've recently just posted about, can you elaborate on any of that stuff? Like what have you found, like, or even just any, it doesn't even have to be about the lycopene, but what stuff in recent um, times have you looked into and researched a little bit about? You're just like, wow, I didn't know that. And I'm excited yeah. to tell people about this thing. I think one of the ones that I've looked at recently was the study on walnuts and how it can, oh, yeah. how it can uh, improve sperm health. That was really interesting around um, sort of the lipid peroxidation that, that sperm can kind of come into contact with. And, and the fact that sperm is largely made up of polyunsaturated fatty acids. There were a couple of studies that I looked at that showed that in, increasing walnuts into the diet actually improved sperm motility, sperm concentration. So and we, we obviously know about the benefits for walnuts in terms of their ALA, omega-3 fatty acids, brain health, things like that. But to know that it can actually benefit sperm health, I found that was really, really interesting. And I mean, yeah. I eat walnuts every day, so I'm happy with that. Yeah, hey, that's <laughs> great. The funny thing for me is like, I got stupid stuff in my head that I learned at uni, like they talk about the doctrine of signatures, which says, you know, walnuts are good for your brain because they look like a brain. Yeah. But they also do look like a little nut sack. Yeah, they do. Yeah, just too. <laughs> Very good for that as well. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> okay, so walnuts. So if you want to bring up that sperm count, the walnuts are the way to go. What about oils? Do many people ask you, Jeffrey, about um, omega-3 oils? Like where do I get the juice out of a fish from on a plant-based diet, for example? Yeah, so again, I think that's something that people have mentioned. And, and again, I think if we look at a lot of the studies out there, you know, fish has been shown to be beneficial, obviously, for omega-3 fatty acids and things like that. But it's very simple from like an algae oil perspective, just, you know, supplementing algae oil, that's very straightforward in terms of getting your omega-3s. Of course, you know, chia, flax, hemp, walnuts, they're important, but you can have that uh, blunted kind of conversion from the ALA to the DHA, EPA, long, uh, longer chain fatty acids. So I think from a perspective of, you know, just being being on the safe side, I think it's important just to supplement an algae oil. Uh, and oil. So this is the thing too. We're supposed to eat a big balance of stuff. Like the mm. reason why algae, the reason why fish get EPA, DHA is they eat precursor oils. So you yeah. start off with the other, the earlier forms of the oils. They go through these enzymes to break down and convert through to the EPA and the DHA. But it's not always natural to be loading in EPA, DHA from the end because it actually backlogs the pathway. And in fact, there's one study that showed um, the major cause for omega-3 deficiency in the form of deficient EPA, DHA was a zinc deficiency because the enzymes that convert are zinc dependent. They did one study actually where they compared curcuminoids from turmeric to um, EPA, DHA directly. And the, the turmeric group actually got more EPA, DHA in their brain than the people supplementing directly with EPA, DHA. Wow. There's even a new research where they found Saturomyces cerevisiae, the one that's used for proper fermentation, commonly used in the Mediterranean region to make good quality alcohols and breads, actually mm. has the ability to colonize inside you and make the delta-15 desaturase that converts oleic acid from olive oil into the precursors for fish oil. So we yeah, even right. if we have a healthy enough microbiome, we might be able to hijack olive oil and turn it into fish oil anyway, which might be the Mediterranean paradox the whole time. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Well, they do have <laughs> high, uh, they do have high amounts of blue zones hanging around through there. So. And then that fits in with the lycopene, which comes out of everything red. And lycopene yeah. is a brilliant antioxidant. Um, and it protects, it's a fat-soluble antioxidant. So when you're having all your oils, you also want to have the nice red-colored things mm. and work as a conservative for your oils and they yeah. actually eat after your oils and your boobs and your prostate and not your boob yeah my boob they're, they're the uh 
they're the lycopene reservoirs and we hold all of our um, lycopene there and that's how it manages a lot of our hormones and stops a lot of those hormones creating abnormal cells and bits and pieces mm -hmm. so that's where you're so important to get all the different colors um and algae and have you have you ever have you ever played around or do you know much about um you know either things like and going maybe back to the algae a little bit we were talking about this a few weeks ago astaxanthin have you ever ever looked into astaxanthin much or at all you know what actually i was i was doing a dha epa which had astaxanthin this was maybe about a year or two ago i don't know astaxanthin's found in salmon it's very, good. <laughs> very good for the skin um so i mean i'm not sure if there's any i'm matt i'm sure you've got some some wisdom in terms of where where else you can get that from yeah, that's right. So mostly a little plankton and shellfish and mm. salmon are places that they source it. But it is found in trace amounts in the other um, algae stuff, along with the phacoxanthins, as it commonly found in the algae. I just remember that word for some reason. <laughs> They're a major compound out of the fermented algae. But all those algae taste like swamp mud. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing is, it's like all the world's omega-3 pretty much comes out of grass or plankton. So when mm. you actually look at the animals that are good or the things that are good sources of omega-3, they're grasses, or yeah. animals that eat grasses, you know, become the main source of omega-3, or those that eat the plankton. Yeah, so it's like, definitely. of course, we can just eat the grasses like the other animals. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, Back to the source. And I haven't actually, I haven't seen this yet, but I'm not sure if you've done uh, many studies on uh, on mushrooms. You know, mm. have you got have you got any cool got any cool insights onto maybe myths around mushies yet or is that something that might be in the works for something coming so one one thing that i've spoken about a lot because i've been on them for five years is the medicinal mushrooms the the yep. reishi your chaga your cordyceps uh, tremella all these different mushrooms i mean i've been fascinated by them and it's funny because i remember hearing about them first on the rich roll podcast about five yeah. years ago on a pod on a yeah. he was talking to the owner of four sigmatic and yeah. i was like drinking mushrooms because in my mind i was thinking culinary mushrooms in hot water i just couldn't get my head around it but then I went, I went to one of the, there's this health food store in London called Planet Organic. And then I came across this, uh, this brand, my favorite brand, which I'm still using today called Hybrid Herbs and started drinking Chaga Mushroom. And I, I know there's a few, like, not certain studies, but there's a few things around Chaga Mushroom in terms of like opening the third eye and bring, bring a, even more mental clarity to your life. I mean, Reishi, I found it was incredible for sleep. Um, obviously, you know about cordyceps in terms of in, increasing the amount of adenosine triphosphate in your cells to produce energy. So that's good for you know training and, and exercise performance. So I just found so many benefits from mushrooms, like so so many of them, um, and I, I just can't stop talking about them. That's one thing that yeah. I've always. And and recently, what um, uh, a recent friend of ours uh, just had a look at a, a study done on cordyceps as well, mm. increasing the increasing the um, Acomansia. Acomansia in the gut. So and we know that at the end of the day uh the acomansia is also aiding in that adenosine triphosphate increasing the energy production so mm. it's probably a big backlink somewhere there that we yeah. still have to uncover but if yeah. we're thinking they might have some really cool benefits as well on top of mm. not only the increase of you know energy production and performance in the aerobic mm. system but maybe also longevity too which could be yeah. you know a good thing in at the end of the day so yeah. and race is delicious like uh, the best the best alternative for um beef stock like if you're looking for a plant-based alternative to throw in mm. the beef, we put it in our shepherd's pie and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and throw it into everything. Yeah, we put it in our kids to feed them because reishi is phenomenal. Because one of the things it has in is these particular polysaccharides that they yeah. the bugs the bugs absorb it, thinking they're feeding on the sugar, but it's actually a little poison for them, yeah, and they die off. So it's a good fungus that kills fungi. Um, mm. It's got a lot of 
there and the benefits. But one of the other benefits in the in Australia, um, where I come from up in the Sundays, we used to get a lot of mosquito-borne viruses. And it was one of my favorite things for mosquito-borne viruses as well to help work on the immune system there. So mm. that was that's phenomenal. I've been using that for so long. Um, and cordyceps is fascinating. And yeah. when you look at the cordyceps for um, athletic performance, you look for the cordyceps militaris species. Oh, yeah, you get cool. consistency with that one, because otherwise it could be anything. And when have you ever just for, just for some fun, um, go and Google like cordyceps and see that, and just do an image search for cordyceps. Oh yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's weird thing. And then like, so they're also different, but militaris has got a consistent base as opposed mm. to scorpion one day. Um, tarantula the next you know yeah, yeah. i forgot lion's mane lion's mane is another one plenty of studies on it for brain health gut health i mean it's a really fascinating area and i think i mean I, there are obviously a lot a lot of mushroom companies kind of coming out of products so it might be becoming a little bit saturated but i think at its core medicinal mushrooms are so powerful to get into the diet yeah, but the funny thing is, there's, there's a even the the, the um, culinary ones are very powerful. There's a lot of data on the agaricus bisporum, and they talk about that. But that's your basic button mushroom, and that's mm. actually one of the most potent aromatase inhibitors. They used to pump it in all the um, test boosters and that sort of stuff. It's just button mushroom. Oyster mushrooms got a lot of really good data on them. They're not as yeah, you know, they're very easily accessed, you know. So I think they don't talk about it as much in the, in the, yeah. in the podcast world. What um uh, just uh, something just to touch on here as a on top of eating a, a fully you know wholesome plant based diet looking at you know trying to get in good quality macronutrients you know good quality protein carbohydrates and fats from good sources with good ranges of color and pigments and and all of the good stuff that comes along with a, a whole food plant based diet when you supplement do you supplement creatine do you supplement with b12 do you look at taking an iron thing or basically the key the key ones that you know as a as a vegan most people would say hey maybe check out iron b12 maybe take a creatine if you're working out as well yeah so the ones for me that i take i mean b12 i think is pretty much a non-negotiable uh i do a vitamin d obviously if, if it's the summer obviously you guys you've got more sun than we do over in the uk so you're probably all right but i think that's one that I take, particularly in the winter as well. But if there's sun around in the summer, I won't take it. I'll just try and get out as much as possible. I uh, also do a DHA and EPA as well. Creatine, I, I take. I've, I've actually just gone back on it because I tend to cycle creatine for maybe a few months and I'll come off it for a little bit and then I'll go back onto it. So I'm onto creatine. Um, and sometimes I explore some different herbs, like, you know, the tonka alis, you know, nettle root, these types of things. So, yeah, but I'd say those are like my main staples that I, that I would say, you know, if people are going to a plant-based diet, you should focus on these things. And then when it comes to iron and like calcium and things like that, I think you can be, if you have a bit of knowledge, you can be aware of where to get these from your food. So obviously plenty of dark leafy greens, legumes, things like chlorella for your iron, but also making sure that you combine them with your sources of vitamin C to optimize absorption. Calcium, you've got your calcium fortified plant milks, again, dark leafy greens, things like bok choy as well, tahini. And then obviously your other kind of trace minerals like iodine and selenium. So selenium, couple of Brazil nuts per day, no problems. And then with iodine, you've got the likes of dulse seaweed. So I sprinkle some dulse seaweed onto my food pretty often. So yeah, I think those are the ones that to, to look out for and take care of from a supplementation and just an, a food awareness standpoint as well. You pretty much just said everything that I eat on a day-to-day -day basis in about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. It's good. And it's like, it's wholesome. And once, and the thing I think that we're getting to now is that all these things that you just rattled off then, all those types of foods that we may have been eating once upon a time or maybe not, 
Mm. These are just things that we have to relearn. And in high school, you never learn about, you know, the benefits of eating seaweed, the benefits of eating some, you know, Brazil nuts each day, the yeah. benefits of having, um, you know, bok choy and sesame seeds for iron and, and you know, looking at all these different types of nuts. It's, um, you know, even just a year or even a semester where we're taught, you know, you're going to cover all your bases. You're going to, you know, be a better human <laughs> day to day. You're going to be, you know, more emotionally stable. You're going to get better sleep. You're going to, you know, kick ass at your sport or your business or your career. Um, you'll probably be a better partner as well because you able to handle your emotions better just by yeah. leveling, out, leveling out your hydration, your sleep, nutrition, and your exercise. Um, and these are things that are constantly missed and missed and missed. But basically what you just said in a nutshell, I think. In a nutshell. Yep, in a nutshell, you probably <laughs> just add those things into your diet and you're covering tons of bases there. Like I think yeah. that's um, the key there was, you know, a bit of diversity and mm. it just takes a little bit of time just to relearn your go-tos for those types of foods. And that's important. You mentioned diversity. So we really need the diverse microbiome. To get a diverse microbiome, you need a diverse um, To get a diverse uh, diet, to get a diverse microbiome, you also need a diet that's full of poison. Um, so a lot of people bag a plant-based diet as well, saying, oh, but what about all the poisons that we get from the garlic and all the poisons we get? So it, what for the people out there is so damn important to use some poison every once in a while for a couple of different reasons. If you're constantly feeding a microbiome, they will just overgrow. They will mm. thrive. If you get too many bugs, you can't get diversity because you get too many of a good thing, you need to clear some space because otherwise they're never going to grow. Otherwise, it's like having a lawn, chockers full of weeds, and then throwing grass seeds at it, expecting the weeds to get up and go. We have to make some space for our good bugs to grow and th thrive. Most of our gut problems are associated with an overgrowth of microbiome. So we're never going to cause a problem by, in fact, it's essential that we add in a lot of these things like the garlics, the gingers, the gingers, the other herbs and spices, oreganos and thymes, which they'll get to all of those soon enough and talk about the antimicrobial compounds that are going to destroy your microbiome. It's not the case. We need to manage the microbiome to leave enough space for the other ones that it gets constantly going to grow and come in. So that's how we get diversity. And the way to get those things naturally is by cycling through your diet, eating things that are fresh and local and in season while they still have some of those active components found in the skins and the peels. Oh, and you've got to eat the skins, the peels, the oh, seeds, yeah. the stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, you just don't want to go bleached fiber. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the funny things about what you just mentioned on there with poisons, and this is something that, James, I'm sure you've seen in the carnival community where they talk about, you know, these plant chemicals and how they're killing us and all these types of things. And I'm just like, how, like, it's funny because I mean, I know it's obviously ridiculous to think that vegetables and dark leafy greens and berries are trying to kill human beings. Yes, if they're in the wild, they elicit these, this phytochemical response, which deters pests and insects and other small things. But from a hormetic standpoint, it's like kind of increasing that stress to kind of make you stronger. It, these these foods are essential. You know, these polyphenols, these kind of phytochemicals that are in all of these foods, they're not, I, I don't know anyone personally who's died from phytochemical exposure in berries. I just, I've, I've never heard it and it's not gonna happen. So so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous argument to be honest uh, from that community, but I mean, no surprises there. You gotta, you gotta get, they gotta take what they can get. <laughs> and if there's an argument to be made, they'll try. <laughs> Yeah. But it's that like good examples resveratrol. Resveratrol is one of the most well studied antioxidants that enhances anti aging, longevity, and all the other good stuff we talk about. It's actually a poison. The way it works is by the body senses it as a mild poison and responds with an antioxidant defense. It's yeah. a very important 
thing for us to do, you know. So we it's just part of that night. It's in typical nature, you know, a bit of, yeah. bit of the smooth and furry, a bit of slap and tickle, you know. <laughs> you're gonna get the sugar, you're gonna get through this poison to get to it first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, hey, Jeffrey, look, mate, we're we're stoked to have had you on. And I think you've just rattled off a really good, wholesome array of foods that people can easily implement into a day-to-day diet that's going to help increase, you know, their their vitality, their, their day-to-day wellness, increase their performance to no end because everything that you mentioned there is basically what I eat as well. Um, the uh, Today, I just made up uh, like four or five meals, um, just kind of like how you like to do yours too. Um, and I made up a bunch of different ones and, you know, it was things like, you know, basmati rice with some tempeh. So you've got some fermented foods on there too. Yeah. Add a little bit of kimchi, some shallots, um, and then maybe just chop up a little bit of nori seaweed to put on top and you've got a, a really delicious, wholesome meal full of, you know, good quality probiotics, good quality carbohydrates, protein, fat, and then a, a good array of, of phytochemicals to go with it too. So I think if we could, you know, just keep doing, you know, what we're doing uh, and, and again, not be the, not be the pushy vegan that says yeah, this is yeah. the only way because that's not what we want to do. Just okay. be there to show people that you can still be strong, fit, healthy and eat more plants and eat more plants and at the end of the day i've never had to and i'm sure you're the same i've never had to modify what i do day to day and the lifestyle that i want to live and that's pretty active that's getting around doing lots of different competitions because i eat a certain way there's never been a time where i'm like i'm too weak because Mm -hmm. i'm a vegan to go and do that task or surf that wave or run that course or lift that weight uh you know it's never been a case so i guess it's just yeah. trying to debunk some myths along the way and, and i think you're doing a great job man and, and we're stoked to have had you on no i appreciate that guys and obviously you know you guys are i mean i remember even listening back in the day i think matt you're on a podcast talking about reishi and the likes of all of these different things that you mentioned in the beef stock so i've known about you guys for a good while and you know you're doing some amazing things so yeah i really appreciate you having me on and um yeah well, maybe we'll catch up in a, in a part two very soon yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Mate, really appreciate it. And uh, we'll probably have this coming out very soon. Uh, actually, next week. Next week, it's, it's going live. So, dude, have a good day. I know you guys are starting the day there. We're finishing the day here. But, man, thanks again, and we'll speak to you soon. Appreciate that, guys. Catch up soon. Bye.